Welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abraham Zalunga. We are still in our At The House series because, believe it or not, we are still in a pandemic. At The House is a collaboration with the Wild Black Podcast. Each week, we invite you all to share stories on a particular topic and publish some of them here. Over on Wild Black, they dive into the topic with an expert guest. Today's episode is all about radical imagination and freedom. We are in the middle of an uprising and on the heels of a new world order. And at the core of any transformational movement is the imagination for what a new society might look like. That's radical imagination. At You Had Me at Black, we also think it's important for us to think about who we are in this new society. Who are we when we're liberated? when we're not fighting against all the shit that endangers us and holds us down. I don't know about y'all, but that's a tough question for me. So many of my values are a result of some form of oppression and finding ways to resist them. I am always talking about some black shit. Who is Martina if she is not talking about some black shit? I know I'm more than that, that I'm more than a response to something that I didn't even create. I'm still figuring out who I am as a liberated person, but it's a question that our whole team encourages you to seek to answer over and over again. One place to start is to think about a moment where you had a taste of freedom, where you felt completely unbound and tuned into yourself. We asked you to share those stories with us and we are excited to share seven of them here. Before we get into the stories though, this episode is brought to you by Identity. They're a one-stop shop for accessing all of your accounts securely across the web. And they are a Black-owned startup, y'all, so you know we had to stand. You Had Me at Black listeners can get started for free at identity.com slash Y-H-M-A-B. Alrighty, it's story time. First up is Goody. One day, much to her family's dismay, she said, fuck her press, and jumped into the pool. I have been a water baby my whole life, and there's something about being in the pool or being in the ocean and just floating, and there's, the, there's a weightlessness, there's a freedom of movement that doesn't really exist when you're on the ground and weighed, weighed down by gravity and weighed down by, you know, just all the things around you. My earliest memory of even being in the pool, I think I was three years old, and I was arguing with my sister. We're nine months apart. It happens a lot. And I think we were arguing because we had just gotten our hair pressed out, and she was like, you can't get in the pool. You can't, you can't go in the pool. And I was like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm getting in the pool. You know, Gamma's going to have a fit. And I was just like, Whatever. I got in the pool and I could hear them 
you know, yelling and stuff, you know, for me to get out of the pool. Because, of course, I just got my hair pressed. And I just laid on my back and floated to the surface and and was just floating and just weightless. Well, my head was under the water, like when you're floating, your ears are covered. So I couldn't really hear the yelling for me to get out of the pool anymore. I couldn't feel them. I felt like I was by myself. I felt like I was free. I don't even know. It feels like almost you're suspended in reality or maybe reality falls away and you're just in this space of peace and euphoria and I just I feel so connected to myself when I'm in the water and as I've gotten older the water has just given me lots of solace and lots of comfort it's just a beautiful feeling to have and as a black woman with a bigger body as well as a fat girl it just the weightlessness that comes with that it takes all of that off my plate too I don't have to listen to anybody. I don't have to feel anything. I don't have to feel weighed down by other people's expectations or the expectations that are put onto the body that I live in. It's just this freeing and it's this isolated peace that I imagine would be like Superman's Fortress of Solitude kind of thing, right? It's just a level of self-awareness that I really don't get to enjoy and completely bask in in any other space in my life other than when I'm in the water. So I guess, you know, black girl magic and all that good shit, I am definitely a motherfucking mermaid. (laughs) Next up is Nancy. When she discovered an old appliance from her grandmother's kitchen, she never expected that loving it back to usefulness would be what her heart needed. My parents had me at a young age. My mother was 20 years old, and my dad was 22 when I came into this world. And one of the advantages of having young parents for me is that I had a lot of grandparents as I was coming up. And so since my parents had to go to work and school and everything like that, there are many days where I would be babysat by my grandmothers and my grandfathers. One grandparent that I spent a lot of time with was my grandma, Corrine, who lived on the same road that I grew up on. And ironically, she grew up on that same road too. And so her trailer was about a half a mile up the road from my house. And so after school, the bus would always drop us off, me and my little brother, off at Grandma Corrine's house. And she would be standing there on the front porch of her little black and white trailer with a hand on her hip and in a house coat with her gold tooth sparkling in the sunlight, waving for us and beckoning us to come inside and have some Lipton sweet tea and some Vienna sausages. <laughs> and it would be many afternoons like that and we'd get off at Grandma's house and sit on the porch or watch people as kids or just listen to her tell us stories. But as time passed, of course, I got older and was able to get to a point where I could get off the bus at my house and stay by myself, me and my brother, until my parents got off work. And one of the disadvantages of me getting older is my grandmother also got older. And at a certain point, she wasn't able to live by herself anymore. My grandma, Corrine, lived with my aunt until she died back into 2008. So the other day, I was visiting my mom and my stepdad and my baby brother, and I decided that I wanted to go into Grandma Corrine's house, which was still standing, and see what we can find in there. And so one Saturday afternoon, the four of us packed into our truck and drove the half mile up the road to Corrine's trailer. And when we went rummaging through there, 
a lot of her stuff was already gone, but we did find her Bible, a chest full of old photos, and then a tea kettle that was tucked away in the kitchen cabinet. When my stepdad reached in that cabinet and pulled it out, I took one look at it and knew that I needed it for myself. <laughs> and so I took that tea kettle back home to my apartment because I decided that it was my mission to restore that little small delicate kettle back to its full glory. And so the next day, I spent the entire morning meticulously scrubbing every inch of that kettle and boiling it in pots of water mixed with pine salt and Clorox. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that pine salt and Clorox could clean anything. I ran it through the dishwasher. I even soaked it in a bowl of Coca-Cola because I heard that it worked. <laughs> it did, which really surprised me. But it was during that time of restoring that kettle that I felt the most free that I had felt in such a long time. I had nothing else to worry about or be concerned about. My only focus was cleaning this kettle. And in cleaning this kettle, I felt so connected to my grandmother, Corrine. I felt like she was in the kitchen with me. And in a way, I feel like me restoring that kettle and taking care of it and reminiscing on the times that I spent with my great-grandma, Corrine, was almost like restoring a memory of her that had been lost to time. And after I restored that kettle, I sat down and took one look at it. And I just cried, just being so overwhelmed, but also thankful for my grandma being there with me in this freeing experience. Now we'll hear from Morgan. He traveled to Cameroon to volunteer on a farm. He didn't know what to expect, but he definitely didn't expect the feelings that cropped up. So the summer of 2012, I was 20 years old and just completing my junior year at Howard University. I'm a healthcare management major, but I low-key wanted to be a doctor. And I was really passionate about holistic health, nutrition, growing your own food. So I came across this opportunity called WOOF, Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And it's an international co-op where anyone can go and volunteer on a farm or any local agriculture practice in exchange for housing. So fast forward, I ended up getting the opportunity in Cameroon. And next thing I know, I have a passport for the first time, a visa for the first time, and it's my first international flight out the country. So just those three alone were already this sense of this freedom that I've never felt before, this freedom to travel where I can be my full self and enter unknown territory. 17 hours later, I land at the Douala International Airport in Cameroon. I get off the plane and the moment that I had the, the most anxiety was when I was at the terminal. Unlike any other terminal that I've ever seen, it was just really small and cramped. It had layers, so like the first layer, the first story was like the actual terminal, and the second story, it was just crowds of people that were like looking down, and I felt like I was just being watched by everybody. So definitely felt extremely isolated and just nervous because I didn't have clear instructions on who was picking me up from the airport, like what my next destination was. I finally leave the terminal, I go outside to the pickup curb, and I'm just looking around, head on the swivel. People are asking me, hey man, let me help with your stuff, let me help you with your stuff, and it's just like super chaotic. 
I'm like, yo, this is a, this is a lot. I did not expect all this. And I say all that to say that even amongst all this uncertainty, I still had this sense of, of freedom. I didn't travel with anyone. I was alone. But despite all of that, I felt empowered to just navigate this unknown territory. And I had this like newfound level of just kind of faith and groundedness that even though I didn't know where I was and, you know, a lot of people in Cameroon speak French or their native tongue, I still felt comfortable. And I think the reason for that was because, you know, on a surface level, everyone looked like me and that's not how you navigate America. Like everyone doesn't look like you. And as surfacey as that sounds, there was still this sense of everything's gonna be okay because like this is family. Fast forward through all this chaos, I finally met with the host family. So the next morning, waking up in this rural area where like the outside of their house is like sugarcane and mangoes hanging off trees, roosters and chicken running around. It was just this like big weight off my shoulder that I've never felt before. And I don't know what weight that was, but I was just like, man, this is what life is about. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to taste this again. But in this moment of just waking up in a, in a foreign country where, where people look like me and like people are respecting me, it was just a newfound sense of like liberation. And I would wish that for anyone. It's time for Janelle. Her teacher tried to make her do something against her will. When she resisted, she experienced the freedom that accompanies speaking up. So let me take you back to my sophomore year in high school. This happy, carefree black girl was in her chair uniform, on her way to class, excited to get this day over with so I can perform at the pep rally. The bell rings. Everyone gets in their seats, waiting for the teacher to state his objectives. Little did I know, standing up and crossing our hands over our chests was one of them. I looked around confused when I see my peers pushed in their chairs. I remained in my chair. Stand up, he said. No, thank you. I will just sit here respectfully. I was hoping he would continue the process so we can just get on with the lesson. Excuse me? You have to stand and show respect for this country. What? Is he talking to me? I thought in my head. <sighs> okay, I wasn't prepared for this, but I'm just going to jump in. I will not stand up. I will not say the Pledge of Allegiance until my people are free. I will not stand up until my parents can get married. My classmates gasped as if they'd just seen a ghost. My Latino friend stood up with me and said, fuck that, me either, until my people are treated right. Okay, this is not how I imagined my English class to go. As an adult in this situation, I assumed he would be open to one or the other. One, open this up for an educational dialogue to test our critical thinking, or simply just respect my wishes and go on with the lesson. Well, none of those options manifested. Buckle your seatbelts. Then won't you go back to Mexico, he tells my friend. And Janelle, if you don't like it here, then move to Cuba. Fast forward, there I was in the principal office, labeled as the student 
who just couldn't cooperate in class. I just kept thinking, until I get home and tell my mom. The next day, we drove to the Board of Education to share my experience. Next thing you know, news stations kept calling us, trying to hear my story. People in school, people who I didn't even talk to, said thank you for using your voice. And you know, there were some people who was just saying I was just being extra and I didn't have to take it that far. Most importantly, the high school sent a letter to family stating, we the Board of Education do not condone the teacher's action and support all students' rights under the Constitution. The teacher has been suspended. We want to promote an environment of diversity, critical thinking, and social justice. I never felt so free in my life, free to make change, the freedom to stand in my truth and not be swayed by my environment. As for the pep rally goes, I killed it. I call this story the time I dodged a major migraine. My mom isn't old, but she sure isn't tech savvy, and she for sure is not organized. So you can imagine my horror when I go to visit her and she turns to me with a smile so wide that her dimples show. Guess what? She squeals. I'm downsizing. Holy cow. Moving from my childhood home to a townhouse, I guess that is the next step for an empty nester. I hug her tightly. As long as she doesn't ask me to help her pack, I got no worries here. She'll be fine. She got this. Or so I thought. Fast forward a week later, and I'm in her living room, surrounded by boxes, trying to decide what to do with years of stuff that really should be thrown away. She peeks around the corner and asks, how do I cancel my cable? Online, I tell her. She freezes. Oh, well, what's the website? I shrug. Hell if I know. A few minutes later, and she reappears. What's my Amazon login again? I need to change my billing address. And now I see that this move was going to be a lot harder than I thought. And then she's back in the room. Identity, she shouts. Identity! I'm like, huh? But then I remember. A few months ago, I set her up on identity.com. It's this dope site that organizes all of your online accounts into one place. I'm talking everything from your cable, insurance, and bank account to Amazon, Hulu, and all online shopping sites. You can securely access or update each one whenever you need to. We log into Identity and boom! In seconds, she's updating her billing and shipping details across different sites. Aww! And her wide dimple smile is back too. Who said moving has to be a nightmare? So I guess this is really a story of the time Identity helped us both dodge a major migraine. You had me at black listeners can get started for free at identity.com slash Y-H-M-A-B. That's identity, I-D-E-N-A-T-I. This next story comes from Patrick. He hung up his filmmaker hat after college. Years later, he found the courage to be honest with his art. I think experiencing freedom was being able to bring my digital series skills to life. And it was really an opportunity for me to be my true self. And when I say my true self, I mean to walk in the skin of being a black, queer, over 30 man telling this story I hadn't personally 
stepped into the hat or the role of a writer or a producer or a showrunner since 1999. But it was something in me that said, you need to tell this story. You need to go back to your creative roots. You know, I was an English major for God's sake. And I used to write, I creative writing was my passion. And I always thought one day, one day I'm gonna do something. And when you, you think it long enough and you keep thinking about it, you start to slowly manifest it, which drew me to meet this young lady, Shirley Norman, who became the director of Scales. I says, hey, Shirley, I want to create my own series that's going to highlight being unapologetically queer, non-binary, with a multicultural dynamic cast. And I haven't done this in over 15 years, but I need you to trust me. And I think it was the passion in my voice that led her to, without even fully seeing the whole script, to say yes, she was on board. And we ended up shooting this show, six episodes, over two weekends. And I then realized that I was able to move swiftly because I was moving in a place of freedom. I was free to be myself. I was free to not give zero shits about what people would think about the black over 30 queer me. Did people see this as a midlife crisis? How did people, I gave zero fucks. But what I did know was that I was manifesting power and passion in me to get this story out so that someone else could look at this web series and go to their younger self and say, this is me, or I know someone like this and remove that stigma of labels. So we get to the summer, we have this amazing premiere, 300 people show up, and at the end of the last episode, all 300 stood up and gave an applause. And at that moment, I said, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what passion looks like. This is what freedom is as a creative, as an individual, as a person. I was now in a space of honesty and truth. And it has never, ever been a moment that I haven't felt as free as I did at that very point in which people stood and said, we see you, we understand you. And the most important thing, I'm just getting started. Next up is Cynthia. She realized her feelings for her best friend Isaiah were more than platonic. So she decided to shoot her shot. So I hit up Isaiah and I'm like, hey, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? And he's like, oh, you know, nothing. Why? And I was like, well, do you want to go on a date with me that day? And he's like, uh, sure. Why not? And I was like, OK, but not a platonic date, because all these other quote unquote dates or platonic dates that we went out on, I would literally just blow him off, pay him no mind. And any time he came over to like my dorm room or whatever, I'd be like, um, we're just friends. Don't try anything. I'm not interested. I was just cold, I would say. <laughs> but this day changed everything for us. And so he's like, all right, cool. Already set. So fast forward to the day. 
I really wanted to make a point that I was really into him and I didn't want this to be like a friend so I didn't want to treat him as such so I took a little extra longer I was trying to smell really nice I made sure my skin was all types of moisturized with the shea butter I had like my hair all done up with gold charms in it the lip gloss was popping high heels on tight fitted red dress with the slit on the left side like I was really out here trying to impress him you know because before I just roll out in any old jeans sweatpants hair up whatever right but now I was trying to let him know like I'm here to get what I want and I want you so on some real airy shit I was just in it finally go out he's like oh wow you look amazing I was like oh you look really good too so he's like okay well where do you want to go and I was like well I was gonna get us reservations for some like fancy schmancy place in San Francisco but keeping true to my personality I really just want a good pizza so finally we get to this pizza place it's called Zachary's and I was like all right so we about to get in here and I really want to get this pizza so when we finally get into this restaurant we're totally overdressed for the occasion so people are all like in our business he like hands me some flowers that they had there like with a lollipop on it and he totally tried to like bump me out the way to paint I was like nah bro I got us like I'm trying to treat you and court you this time you know I just I wanted it to be different. We didn't have nowhere to sit because it was so packed, so we finally settled on going to the car. And all of a sudden, right, it was super sunny, and then all of a sudden, the rain just starts pouring down, like, shh, all up on the windshield, everything. And I was like, well, we can't go outside now. And so he was like, all right, cool. So we had our root beers in our left hand. We had the pizza on some, like, napkins or something like that. And I was like, I know it would be perfect. And so we started playing some really old R&B. We started singing One Wish by Ray J at the top of our lungs, acting like we were in the middle of the music video, right? And I really had to stop him from going outside <laughs> to actually reenact it. He always made me feel comfortable to be myself, even when I wasn't dressed up, even when I was in some raggedy old work shirt or this and that. And it was just such a beautiful moment, you know? It was amazing. And I wanted to use this moment because I felt most free with my best friend and my lover. Our final story is from Lauren. An afternoon hanging with her older sister led to some grown people activities. I'm the youngest of five. And we all cascade in age pretty closely. So the difference between me and the eldest is just seven years. Of course, while we were growing up, I could weasel and whine my way in any activity that my older siblings were doing. So one day, it was 1997, 1998, the summer. I was seven years old. And one of my older sisters, Janelle, she was heading to her best friend's house, Corinne. And Corinne had this dope-ass treehouse in the back. And so they were going to go and kick it in the treehouse. So, of course, I wanted to go. So made my mom force Janelle to take me, and we were off on our way. But when we got there, Janelle and Corinne were not trying to fuck with me. So they're like, Lauren, go play in Corinne's room. Go play with Corinne's toys. We're going to be chilling over here. I'm like, bet. I go, explore Corinne's room, all her big girl clothes, her toys. But then after an hour or two, I kind of get bored and then curious, like, wait, where is Janelle and Corinne? And what are they doing in the treehouse by themselves that I can't go? So I leave Corinne's room, sneak on over to the treehouse. And before they could effectively shut me out, I get up to the top and I catch them smoking a cig, a cigarette. 
And so me, I'm like, that's kind of gross, but also kind of cool. Wow, a cigarette. Aren't those for adults? Where did y'all get this cigarette from? And what does it taste like? So before they could try to force me out, I already let them know that if they didn't share their goods, I would be snitching on everybody. So they pass me the cigarette and I take one puff and uh, gross, this shit is nasty, but also kind of cool. Lauren, you just smoked a cigarette at seven. Damn, girl. And so that was it. That summer when I was seven was the last time I felt free smoking a cigarette wild that was the last time that I felt free and uninhibited and that I could see myself growing and doing different things being a big girl feeling like an adult without the weight and the responsibility of it without the knowledge that I would have to exist in the world first by my skin color, then by my gender, and then whatever other shortcomings or challenges that I faced. It was before I realized that my parents were struggling financially. It was before we got kicked out of our Section 8 household. That was before the cops rolled up on my brothers and their friends and did some crazy shit, you know? It was before I knew any of that was happening. Nope, at that time, I was just an annoying seven-year-old little sister trying a disgusting cigarette for the first time and feeling big. Thanks for listening to You Had Me at Black. Be sure to catch part two on the Wild Black podcast on Sunday, June 28th. The next cycle of At the House is about urban legends. What's an urban legend you grew up hearing? Did you ever have an encounter with it? Did you ever try to test it? We want to hear the story. Visit youhadmeatblack.com slash at the house. There, we have tips and examples to help you tell your story in five minutes or less. And lastly, I know it's easy to feel helpless right now. When I feel that way, I think about our ancestors who didn't know what life would or could be like beyond the plantation. They just knew that they couldn't take enslavement any longer. And they took off running. We all have a role to play in this movement. What's yours? You can protest. You can email or call your local officials. You can heal or feed your community. You can create art that captures the moment. You can host workshops to teach your friends or your colleagues. And you can study. This is something that we all must do. Study the ways in which we might perpetuate the same harm that we're trying to dismantle. Because to be honest, none of us are free until we're all free. You Had Me at Black was created by two sisters. That's us, Martina and Brittany Abrahams. We produced this podcast along with Richard White. And Miles Dotson, our sound designer and engineer, he makes us sound good. Peace.